Hello, I'm Sirsha, your Rebel Ma host for all boobs blazing for the feminine rising, the podcast for women to receive all we need to remember and believe we are worthy and capable of having it all. So together we can rise in peace, power, pleasure and play and not waste another day rushing and pushing in the old patriarchal way. Together, we'll ignite the flames of transformation, burn away limitations, and light the path to true liberation through our own radical awakening with all boobs blazing for the feminine rising. Let's do this, sisters. So here we are. (laughs) Wow, Jen. Here we are. Such an honor to have you here, my dear sister, in Ireland. (laughs) Well, it's be it's like my privilege to be here. I'm absolutely thrilled, you know, to to finally connect in this way, you know, after such a long time. Yeah. yeah. So for the listeners, Jen has been there for me in the ether online with her Celtic embodiment uh, school. And when I first saw it, it activated something so deep in me because I really had a grow, which is a love and a desire in me to connect more to my ancient and sacred ancestry. And your beautiful offering to the world was kind of birthed around the same time. And we connected Mm -hmm. online and we just had this beautiful, beautiful friendship. Every time I speak to you, it just lights me up and gives me hope and faith and possibility. And, you know, it gets me pulsating with pleasure and all of the things (laughs) that you do for me. So I'm thanking you so dearly for joining me here on my first All Boobs Blazing podcast. (laughs) and um yeah you I mean I don't even know where to start with you you have so many beautiful bows and and um bows to your belt I guess you'd say but you are a an anthropologist a mythologist Mm. a feminine embodiment coach the founder and creator of Celtic embodiment you are also a beautiful devoted mama to Mm. and a devoted lover and wife to Fergus and you are a hundred percent of Banfasa a beautiful wise Mm. woman a goddess and a warrioress of our ancient mythology embodying your dreams here in this now moment as you you know bring women home as you say, your philosophy is to mm. let your body and mythology guide you home, home to you. Mm. So beautiful because you feel like home to me. And that's oh. of having you here today. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, my love. Oh, my God. I mean, what an introduction. <laughs> I'm a bit overwhelmed here. Um, but yeah, should I maybe... I might talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the Celtic School of Embodiment, Um, you know, just in terms of roots and in terms of the women who influence our lives. Um, Because the inspiration, I've been reflecting a lot about this um, lately um, because she's just come up in, yeah, just in my dreamscape is my grandmother. 
So my grandmother's name was Frances O'Sullivan um, and she grew up in inner city Dublin in Pimlico. So a real working class area of Dublin. Uh, her father was actually a cooper in the Guinness's brewery. And, um, you know, like the, the song, The Rare Old Times, you know, which she loved, she was raised on songs and stories and um, came from a lineage of storytellers on her mother's side. Mm-hmm. So she was just the most wondrous storyteller. And, you know, she used storytelling as well to really navigate heartache because um, this time 60 years ago now, um, my grandfather passed away, Christy, and he was only, I think he was about 37 and um, left Frances then with seven children. Um, and the same week, her sister Noel died in childbirth and the baby with her. So a really tragic story. Mm. But my mom remembers that like Francis used to take the children in off the street and sit everybody around the fire and tell her stories, you know, as a way to keep, you know, um, the family and the community together. And she used to tell the wildest stories, particularly macabre kind of tales. She loved banshees and pukas and changeling fairies and yeah so like when I was growing up she used to tell me those stories and she just fueled a passion for me um in Irish folklore mythology so much so that I ended up doing a degree in it you know Mm. um so she really is like a massive inspiration and I was reflecting on it this recently as well around before a few years before she passed and she was asked to participate in and to contribute to a book about the history of women in Ireland Mm. her youth was like pretty wild you know she had a fascinating life and she did but then she retracted it in the end and she told me she was just so afraid you know she just I could sense that it was like shame that came over her fear you know and when I look back now you know years later I see that it was like the the patriarchy playing out in her body you know because systems of oppression play out in our body and you know robbing her of her story you know Mm -hmm. so I'm really inspired by her now to reclaim the stories of our ancestors and use them as a source of power so that we will tell our stories and yeah, that we we have the courage to do so as well and to live our lives um, in the way that we desire and the way that we're called to be. Oh, wow. That's such a beautiful story. And, you know, it's so relevant as I sit here looking at my grandmother. I have a picture of her there looking at me and it reminded me to be courageous and speaking my truth and, you know, standing in my power. She was uh, an activist all her life, too, and very much the voice for those who never had one. She was on the front lines of all sorts of campaigns for our Indigenous uh, traveling community and the LGBTIQ community. She was definitely on the front lines of that. I feel like that's the incredible thing about this, this moment in our lives where we get to actually do the work that they maybe didn't have a chance to do in order to really, really make the change they wanted to see. You know, they didn't have the tools available to us. They didn't have the awareness of the patriarchy because it's so deeply lived in their body. And 
yeah, I just find that this ancestral embodiment work that you do allows us to tap into their strength and allows us to let go of the shame and the blame and the hurt and the trauma that has been led, that has been kind of passed down in our DNA for it to stop with us here. What do you Mm -hmm. feel when I speak to, you know, being able to do this work and offer this work in a way that will be able to heal lineages and lifetimes of the patriarchy and oppression and suppression, as you say, of women not being able to use their voice? Yeah, I mean, I I feel that we, we are in a catalyst moment. I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm like, whoa. In terms of like incarnating at this time, it's all, it is all boobs blazing. Like (laughs) there's nothing sure right now um, in our world. But yeah, I too feel like I feel the deep privilege of being able to do this work. And particularly because, yeah, the likes of Francis and your grandmother, I mean, they got to express in their own ways, but it was often shut down for them because And particularly, I think what's really prevalent in women, like one of the real legacies um, of the patriarchy is shame, this kind of subtle sense of shame all of the time. And this can manifest as us not feeling good enough or else we're too much having imposter syndrome, you know, leaning in and burning out all of these type of expressions as a result of this subtle sense of shame of nearly having to look over your shoulder all of the time. And I suppose like if we bring it back to the mythology, um, my first real experience of understanding shame in our mythology was with Queen Maeve. This was years ago. I mean, God, it's like 2002 when I started my degree in medieval Irish and Celtic studies and I did this course on misogyny and women and it was run by my lecturer Murray Rolcoin, who sadly passed a few years ago but who was a phenomenal teacher and activist and what we did was we began to look at Queen Maeve through the lens of misogyny and how she was treated by those who wrote her story. Because in Irish mythology, the stories would have originated in the oral tradition. And then they were written down by Christian scribes. And initially when they were written down, like, you know, with the coming of Christianity to Ireland, they created these kind of rich hubs, these rich centres of learning. The goddess Bridget, who was later the saint, was said to have set up one of these centres of learning. But as the years went by, you know, and this, the, the church, you know, the kind of global structure of the church started to weigh down. You see a change in how the literature is recorded and you see more of this misogynistic tones coming in that are, are reflective of the, the kind of thinking of the times. Mm-hmm. But with Queen Maeve in the Irish epic, she is known for the great Irish epic Tom Bocunia, which means Catherine of Cooley. And um, it's kind of you know, known as our greatest story in our mythology, really. And she's one of the, like, she is the main protagonist, along with Cúcullin, who is a warrior. And Maeve in this story is presented as a warrior queen. And she's presented as an example, in a way, of what happens when a woman has too much power. Because, for example, her husband, Aliel, is quite a weak king. And, you know, there's so many stories 
in it that kind of alluded to this subtle tone of shaming her. Like even, you know, in Maeve's later story of her death, she is killed by being hit with a block of cheese. Right. Your death doesn't get more, you know, like shameful than that. It's just like, uh, I mean, I don't outrageous know, in a way. That might be a dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, what's really fascinating about her before the cheese is that, you know, she's likely a sovereignty goddess because Maeve's name originates from mead, you know, which is an ancient kind of the oldest form of alcohol. And with the sovereignty goddess, and why I say the alcohol is important is because in ancient Ireland, the sovereignty goddess and the king were married in a ritual called the Banish Rikji. Okay. And this ritual was a representation of this marriage of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And as part of this, the goddess, like Mabe, would offer a wedding libation. Okay, so a, a, a drink from a deity to the king to drink in approval of his ability to rule. So the king represented, in a way, the people and the culture. And the sovereignty goddess then represented, you know, the feminine and nature. And in order for the Tua, the tribe to thrive, this marriage had to be a good one. And if the king was an unjust ruler, they would suffer the wrath of the sovereignty goddess. So their crops would fail, you know, their livelihood, livelihoods would fail, the birth rate would plummet and so forth. And so Maeve speaks to these characteristics of the strength of the sovereignty goddess, but then gets later Christianized and we start to see those misogynistic and those shameful tones come in, you know. And this affects us today because the stories that are told on our behalf are told to us. We absorb those somatically in our bodies and we regurgitate those in our lives. Mm, yeah. I love that you told that story because that's the exact one that really lit a fire under me, you know, to hear of the strength mm. and the beautiful support that the sovereign goddess would live with and give to the masculine when they were mm. ruling with justice and harmony and peace and actually, you know, being of benefit to the earth and the land and the people. But when they weren't, when they were unjust, then they they would suffer their wrath, you know. And that's what I feel is such a reflection of the times that we're in right now in this masculine patriarchal society that we live in that is so you know has us all women playing small and and not playing on the same team and really feeling this shame and blame and suffering and separation that has come with these times that now we can see how much damage that is not only doing to our bodies but also as a reflection on the collective in on the earth and the, as the earth is feminine too so I really mm. feel like that being able to tap into that strength and guidance from within to know that we are all the descendants of these sovereign goddesses as well as these Celtic, uh, Celtic uh, mythology lives on in us, our ancient ancestry lives in our bodies. So I just love that we get to actually tap into that strength. We get to tap into that memory of the sacred ancestry and we get to be an embodiment of that in these times and really and really go within to find the strength, to come home to ourselves and to overcome all of the oppression and suppression that has been kind of 
bestowed on us for thousands of years and to really come into our own, to come home and to take back control of this ship and start steering it in a direction that is more aligned to women and feminine values and principles and more aligned to the times that we want to pass on to our children, you know? Yeah, and particularly like for me as well, like I'm the mother to two sons, you know, and I feel and I and you're the mother to a son as well and a daughter, of course. But like I feel like for them, I don't want them to grow up in the way that patriarchy has maybe played out, played out for me when I was younger. I want them to have the opportunity to express their feminine, you know, because these expressions exist within all bodies, you know, can exist within all bodies, no matter what binary or non-binary we hold. So, yeah, like when you say about children, this for me is a real part of my legacy to my boys that I feel is yeah, I really like just feel it's critically important to my mission here as well. Mm, I love that. And I feel like that it's so important. We've got such a big job with the growing, you know, boys to really embody both both feminine and masculine qualities and allow them. They don't have to be tough. They, they boys do cry. You know, mm. we've got to teach them both sides of the spectrum and really allow them to feel all of their emotions it's not just women it's like men too you know yeah yeah no absolutely I think there's um what we need really is a reskilling in the feminine Mm -hmm. because like the feminine exists within us and has the capacity to exist within us But, you know, we are unskilled in our feminine because we live in such a hyper masculine and hyper productive world that we have had to adapt and, you know, take on those masculine characteristics in order to succeed. And like for most of the women that I work with, the real kind of catalyst for me, like in their testimonials, it's always about remembering who they are. And you had even said that to me the other day, you know, on a message where you were talking about us remembering who we are. And the reason I feel that we don't remember who we are and that we are lost is because we're going around blindly searching for an aspect of ourselves, the feminine, that is innate to who we are, but behaving in our masculine. So I feel like that we're nearly unconscious sometimes of the opportunity to embody the feminine. And, you know, as a result, we feel lost. And then when we have the opportunity to reskill in it, then it's like an act of remembering. And like one of the stories, actually, if there's a story that resonates most with the women that I work with. I would say it's a Selkie story, the story of the mythical seal woman who, so so stories of Selkies are really common in Ireland, in Scotland, the Faroe Islands, kind of, you know, in the Nordic landscape as well, where the seas that, you know, particularly on the West where the seas are particularly wild, you know, and where we share the land with seals. Um, even here in where I live in the East Coast, we share our community with, with harbour seals and with uh, grey seals as well. But this Selkie story is also known as on Vajin Vara in the Irish tradition. Vajin Vara or Majin Mara means sea maiden. So it could be like a mermaid, woman with a fishtail or a Selkie. And the story usually 
revolves around a man being a man basically wandering the seas, wandering a beach, and he spots a mythical selkie. He spots the seal woman who is out of her skin. So she's come onto the land and she's taken off her seal skin. And he becomes completely enraptured by her, absolutely like falls in love with her on the spot. And what he does is he steals her seal skin when she's not looking or her in, in the Irish tradition, it's often as well um, either a fishtail or a brat. Uh, a brat means a magical cloak. So sometimes it's a cloak that she has and um, that that, you know, represents her kind of her sea aspect. So he robs the seal skin. And, you know, she's going looking for it then on the rocks and she can't find it and she can't go back into the sea. She can't go back to her seal family without her seal skin. And he convinces her then to basically marry her, marry him and come live with him, you know, and she has no choice because she has to get him. She has to get her skin back. And in times, usually, you know, she falls in love with them and they birth a family or a child together. But she begins to completely deplete in this masculine world. So the life starts to literally dry up in her. Her skin begins to crack. It begins to flake. And her life force is literally dying without her seal skin. And long story short, eventually the story usually revolves around one of her children finding the seal skin and returning it to her. And she, when she puts on the seal skin, she just grows ripe. She grows plump with sea life again, and she returns to the sea. And for me, this is the real, yeah, like I explore this story in the reskilling of the feminine. Like what if the feminine was in our seal skins and we were to put those seal skins back on our bodies what might it do? Because we are drying up, flaking, cracking under the pressure of living in this hyper masculine, hyper productive world. Yeah. So like, I feel that that's a really potent story. And I know, you know, in Women Who Run With The Wolves, Arisa Pingola Essays explores that story there and Sharon Blackie as well. And if women rose rooted and because it just holds such meaning for women, you know, around our feminine. Absolutely, absolutely. I really love that story. And it is such a beautiful reminder of how when we kind of, you know, we're, we are, we've lost ourselves and it's to, because of the society that we live in. And I know for you, you did work in a very kind of high powered masculine role before you moved into feminine embodiment. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your story there, you know, moving from those worlds and what was the catalyst of it and how you've actually used your skills to now live and love and lead in a more feminine embodied way and and what difference that has made for your life. Yeah. So, yeah, to go back, I suppose, when I did my degree in medieval Irish and Celtic studies, I also trained as an anthropologist. And I went on to do further study in anthropology because I was always fascinated by culture mm-hmm. and diversity in culture. And and also I went on to specialize in what's called critical pedagogy. So critical pedagogy is how we engage 
in our own learning experiences. So how we can be critically aware of what a teacher is teaching of teaching us, right? So how systems of oppression play out in the education system and how that can reproduce inequalities. So I ended up then working in an NGO um, in an international development organization for 14 years where I was head of the education department that explored kind of education and and global justice. So empowering people to be active participants in their own education experience. I absolutely loved that job like and I loved the role that I had and it was so rewarding in so many ways but it was the same kind of hyper productivity and particularly when you work for an organization that has a cause you can literally never do enough right because the cause is always greater than what you can do mm-hmm. so I burnt out so many times just absolute depletion depletion like you know on the floor sobbing depletion with exhaustion and I suppose like the real change for me started to come like I mean when I look back and I do say this to people as well around follow your mythical breadcrumbs when I look back I've always been following the breadcrumbs and all of this has led has led me to this point having that experience in education has enabled me to do this work you know but I suppose like I always maintain that kind of connection as well you know with the mythology usually through my dreamscape because I'm such an active and vivid dreamer Mm-hmm. And I, you know, brought that more into my meditative world, you know, maybe in the last five or six years. And then a number of years ago, I trained as a Kundalini yoga teacher. So that opened up a whole new kind of playing field with the body, with meditation, all of that kind of stuff for me. And then I had Bara, my second son, who is now two, and I left that role, which was really challenging for me at the time, because, you know, there is a grief with that when you hold on to an identity so strongly like that, and particularly an identity that is imbued with the hyper productivity, that sense of doing, if I do, I am that like you're getting your confidence from that, that there was an absolute grief with that. It kind of spiraled me into a bit of a dark feminine as well and having to kind of reimagine who I am and who I am going to be. And basically it's so random, but like (laughs) I trained then as a a sister circle facilitator with Global Sisterhood. And as part of a ritual um, while I was doing that course, I went to the sea beside me and I kind of did an incantation to the moon through a stone in the water with a message and went home, dreamt that night and woke up with feminine embodiment and Googled feminine embodiment, came across Jenna Ward, who um, is based in Australia, well, she's now in Holland, but who was at the time, mm. and who was offering a certification in feminine embodiment coaching. And I just like, I mean, there was no thought in it. It was just totally intuitive. Signed up for that. And when I signed up for that, what started to happen is things started to activate really fast. I did this past life regression regression session because of a reoccurring dream that I've had since I was a child. And in that past life regression, what came through was me as this woman, Finnevere, I call her, like thousands of years ago in ancient Ireland, 
And, you know, I won't go into that now, but it really activated me. And she started to come through then in my dreamscape as well. And then I found like, I found like I was called basically up to my attic and I'm not a hoarder at all. Right. Like really not a hoarder. But I had saved all of my old notes, like every single reader I'd had from my degree in medieval Irish and Celtic studies. And I found them all in my attic here, not in my home attic. I'd obviously brought them when I moved here and which I don't recall. And I just started to inhale them inhale them like I literally couldn't get them into me quicker and that's how it all just started to 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 flow and then the idea you know came for the Celtic School of Embodiment about a year ago and I was just like yeah it just dropped in and I just went for it and it's totally random (laughs) in a way you know when I explain what I do to people sometimes I'm like like I can see the look in their faces but I feel like there is just such a strong correlation between our mythology and our bodies because they speak the same language. They speak through symbols, through metaphors, through dreams, through whispers. And if we can learn how to follow them, I feel that it will be a catalyst for change in our world. And by coming home to the mythology, like it's no coincidence for me that as I started to come home to my own body, that I started to come home to my indigenous mythology because I was rerouting. So, yeah. And look, I mean, I'm a work in progress for sure. <laughs> you know, I don't have it all sussed and I'm not like all day long in my flowy skirt and, you know, like whatever kind of, you know, people imagine of the feminine, you know, and I and I need that masculine as well right, to run a business. So mm. it's a combination of the masculine container, the masculine go and the feminine flow and I'm just constantly trying to fine tune and constantly trying to, to, to work at it, you know, but I don't have anything sussed and I don't want to have anything sussed anyway, because it's all part of the journey, this unfolding. It is, it is indeed. And I love that story. You know, you went, you were visited in your dreams, you followed the breadcrumbs, you found your way home to your body and you're still Mm. finding your way home there. You know, it's such a beautiful, beautiful story too. To just keep following the nudges. And I think that is only, it's only when we slow down a little that we actually hear them because we're so busy. We're so distracted. We're so reactive. We feel like we've got to do more, be more, have more in order to feel worthy. And that was true for me. And as I kind of slowed down on my conception journey to calling in my son Bodhi, it was an opportunity to actually hear the call, to realize that my nervous system was in overload, you know, that I was not being receptive uh, or open to what I wanted in life, what I was calling in. And it's interesting you say there that you need the masculine and the feminine. And I don't want to confuse people with these masculine and feminine terms, but it is really important to kind of touch on those principles of the feminine that allow us to do business in a way that serves us, you know, that expands our container so that we can hold what it is that we're calling in. And I loved having the chats with you to and forth about our real life situation, you know, like this podcast, I wanted to be a place for pure 
truth and it's not all sunshine and rainbows setting up a business and doing things completely differently because we're disrupting a whole fucking system you know we're disrupting a whole social order and it's our opportunity to really birth I think a new earth that our children are trusting in us to birth they've come here at this time we have come here at this time as you say with these big kind of visions and downloads and we get to do it in a way that actually feels juicy for us that feels alive that feels like we can hold it all and still live in pleasure and still have play every day and find a way to make it work for us rather than for us have to work for it and I'd love to hear your views on on what you have brought into your business in order to make it feel flowy. Like it's it's not about wearing flowy dresses and putting daisies in your hair and going dancing every day. But there is a huge element of bringing in the feminine principles and qualities to, in order to help us lead and love from that place. So I'd love to hear what you have done in your business in order to create that spaciousness. Yeah, so no, I love that. And I feel that the more we can infuse the economy with feminine principles, because the economy is, you know, capitalism is basically, I mean, it's a white man's job. So the more we infuse it with with these principles, I feel the more we can disrupt it to bring about change, you know, and to bring about more of the abundance consciousness, consciousness as opposed to scarcity consciousness, to feel collaboration as opposed to competition with one another. So like at a very practical level, what I do is um, I have a number of tools that I use in my business to kind of really activate that balance for me. So I always start my day in what I would call, yeah, in the feminine So what I do every morning is I do a somatic movement practice, just that I call the Celtic woman's call. So just down on all fours, moving my body. And I have developed this practice to call in my bandia, so my goddess. So like calling in the energy of Finnevere. So I've given my business an energy. Okay, so the energy is Finnevere, who I met in that past life regression. And for me, that's a way to basically separate the business from me because I am not the business. The business has a separate energy and a separate path to me. I'm here to bring it to life now, but I don't know if I'll be the same. It'll be me in the future, you know? So like our businesses have their own, you know, our our entities in of themselves. So that separation massively helps me. And then I call in my bandia each day and I just ask for guidance. I ask the same question every day, body, what would you have me know today? And that's just a way to activate my intuition and to move from that place So I do three things basically in the feminine. So I do the drop in. Then I look at, well, what day of my cycle am I on? Okay. Of my, my moon cycle, of my menstrual cycle and what energy is available to me today. So I've mapped my cycle over a long period and I, you know, I know kind of what energy, like (laughs) on day 19, I mean, everybody move back. There's a lot of fire. (laughs) probably not good for me to be out publicly on that day. So I know what energy then is available to me to work through me that day. And then the third thing that I do is I look at, okay, how can I infuse pleasure and body love into this day? 
And I kind of have this little map that I've done of body love for, you know, my physical body, my mental body, my emotional body and my spiritual body. And like body love can be as simple as taking a break to have a cuppa and stare at a window. It can be as simple as just putting on your favorite song and just moving because and the reason it's about body love is because often in our working mode, We numb ourselves so out so much and ignore our bodies, like even the need, like I used to like ignore the need to go to the toilet to send more emails. I'd be like, I'll just go in a minute. I just, you know, I'm like, I just have to send this 10 more emails. Do you know what I mean? So like even like just basic listening to your body's basic needs. Like that's a revolutionary act in of itself. And then from that place, then I bring in more structure and I start to, to kind of look at, you know, more of the structured aspects of my day. Like what do I have on, you know, the practical kind of as an entrepreneur in particular, I, I kind of assign it to three roles. So I look at as an entrepreneur, what do I need to do as a CEO of my business, as the manager, what do I need to do practically? And then as a technician, the person who creates the creatrix, what do I need to do? So it's kind of in these three levels, because as a solopreneur, often we're in the doing mode, like not the doing mode, but the technician, the creatrix mode. Mm. I don't get an opportunity to to even be the CEO of our business. So the entrepreneur is the visionary. The manager part of me is like, okay, listen, sort out the finances here. The ship's going down kind of thing. And then the technician is like doing the creative aspects of my work. So yeah, so that's basically how I try to balance it. Wow, I love it. So that's how you balance the masculine with the feminine and and bring in both of the energies. And I guess once you check in with your body, that's it. I, I have a practice of, um, you know, waking up and asking my feminine what she needs and really waiting and listening to what she has to say. Like, does she need motivation? Does she need nurturing? Does she need movement? What does she need? Does she need more sleep? <laughs> Which is usually what I need. <laughs> I know. I um, love that. Then, And then like, you know, waiting to hear the answer and then actually asking the masculine how how the masculine can help me achieve that, how the masculine can hold me in that. And because the masculine's sole purpose, isn't it, to support the feminine and to hold the feminine and protect the feminine. So if you start working with the masculine and feminine within you and getting them on the same team, that can really help us in order to move forward in this sense of union and harmony within, you know. I love that. Absolutely love that. You know, just starting your day with asking both the feminine and the masculine. I mm-hmm. absolutely adore that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we get to like, I feel like we get to, you know, there's a lot of like masculine beat up but actually the masculine is there to hold us and support us and protect us and guard us with their lives and do anything they can for us die for us basically so we get to just remember that and bow down in reverence in a way because when they remember to serve us in the way that was Mm. intended (laughs) nature intended yeah absolutely that mutual honoring yeah so beautiful. So tell me a little bit about, I know you mentioned that your your business has uh, its own entity, its own name. It has its own like 
vision, I guess. Tell me a little bit about how I know that you do that work with with clients as well. You've got a beautiful program that helps women to manifest. Tell me a little bit about that process for for our listeners. Yeah, so I suppose with that program at the moment, it's called the Bandia program. And yeah, I'm working with um, a number of solopreneurs in particular um, around kind of calling in that um, guiding kind of goddess energy or mythical woman energy for their business so that they're, they can separate the business from their bodies. And so we start to look at, you know, well, what does the energy of the business look like? What kind of archetypes are at play here? You know, and often the archetypes are connected back to, you know, like to the unfolding of their own lives. Those archetypes have always been there. So, you know, archetypes, are kind of exist in the collective unconsciousness and they manifest, they come into reality in different forms, you know, depending on the culture you're in. So an example of an archetype is the wise woman or the witch or the seductress or, you know, the mother is another archetype as well. So looking at that in the business and then looking at how to create a, you know, a body loving, thriving business as well, you know, through the like some of the practices that I've mentioned to you there as well, and trying to, you know, disrupt the hyper productivity that's at play. And also bringing in those three elements of, yeah, like, because a lot of us of the, the kind of the entrepreneur, the manager and the technician, because a lot of us move, you know, when we set up our own businesses, a lot of us are technicians. So like I'm, a, you know, and a technician, I mean, it's just like it, it comes from a, a book called The Emit. But the, tech, the technician role is really the creatrix, okay? All Always in that creator energy, you know, of actually doing the technical work. Um, and that doesn't leave enough space for the visioning for the long term. Um, not that it doesn't leave, leave enough space, but we get so caught up in it that we don't invite that kind of longer term visioning in. So it's kind of working through supporting them to do that. And also, you know, in kind of mental cycle awareness, mapping the cycle to the business as well. And yeah, looking at abundance consciousness in particular as well. I've had to do so much work personally on money since I became a business owner, I had so many limiting beliefs around money because I grew up in, I didn't grow up with money. I grew up in a working class area where there's a lot of social disruption. Then I went on to, you know, work in global justice with people in poverty for a very long time as well. So there was a lot of work that I had to do around wealth and around abundance consciousness. Um, So working with limiting beliefs around that as well. And I suppose the more I do this work, the more I realize that actually women being wealthy in their businesses is actually a critical catalyst as well to disrupting the order and to bringing about change. And I mean, women and marginalized communities to, to really shift that order, that actually wealth is a catalyst in that because we do different things with money. So women are much more likely to give back to their community when they earn, like I think the statistics, I, I don't quote them because I know they're, you know, I, I may not get them right, but they're quite drastic in terms of the percentage that women will give back to their communities when they're high earners versus men, you know, as business owners. So yeah, I feel that working on that wealth kind of challenge for women is a big one. And for me, what it played out as for a long time was like, I'm better than money. 
you know, I don't need money. I'm better than money. And that was what my way of coping, mm. you know, and, and it actually starts very practically by looking, by looking at your finances and getting comfortable looking at money every single day, you know, because we're conditioned to manage money in their little envelopes for the household, not to go out there and to make money. And it's hard to look at your money, but the reward then once you start to do that and break through that fear is, is, is yeah, like, I mean, it's so freeing, so liberating. Oh, it's huge. And that's a massive piece for women to go all boobs blazing on this world and really rise together so that we can kind of shift the paradigm and and be in our power and, you know, be and be living our purpose and to be living with passion. We've got to be making money. We've got to be know our worth. And I guess it's embedded in us again at an ancestral level. Our, our, our sense of worth has been affected throughout the way the world is. Is right now and we feel like we have to do it all to feel worthy but in terms of wealth we feel like shame in claiming any kind of wealth for our offering you know for what we have to offer for our gifts we've got so much shame in actually stepping into our gifts and sharing what is on our heart and being a stand and being a voice and I guess it's all connected you know to keeping us quiet and keeping us plain small and keeping us from following our intuition and sharing our magic with the world you know so it's such an important piece this this wealth and and worth and and working on that and in terms of ancestral where that lives in our body have you got any insights in you know things that women can do to start tapping into the ancestral kind of I guess trauma that lives in us that we get to free ourselves from yeah I suppose like with ancestral trauma like with any trauma like, I suppose what I would say is, yeah, the work is kind of, it is challenging in, in, in the sense that you don't want to go into the epicenter of any trauma in your body, right, where it feels unsafe. Like if you are exploring what's coming up in your body around, say, your ancestors and money, it must it's critical that you feel rooted in a sense of safety in your body first before you can even go there, you know. And often when we're looking, you know, particularly with feminine embodiment, we're not trying to travel into any memory when we're working. We're trying to look at the feeling sensation, you know. So say for me, right, okay, if I drop into my body now and, you know, engage with kind of any, yeah, any feelings of money that come from my family, like I immediately feel a constriction in my heart center, immediately feel it starting to tighten up and close down. Like my shoulders are coming around, my whole back is hunching up. So, you know, for me, it's about getting curious. OK, well, and only if it feels safe for, 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 for me to do so. What's beneath this peeking under the rug? What's happening here? What's beneath this? And I did this myself this year. And like one of the memories that actually has stuck in my head around money as well is like my dad lost his job when I was about maybe nine or 10. And I remember him bringing me to a march at the Garden of Remembrance in Dublin. And they were carrying a coffin to represent the loss of their livelihoods. And that like, I mean, that just got etched in my subconscious, you know, and it was only by dropping into my body 
and kind of seeing what was here that I realized, oh my God, that has been playing out like this death of livelihoods, of money, of grief has been playing out in my life as well, you know? And there's so much like, particularly, I mean, yeah, on this land, like, I mean, on every land there's trauma, you know, around money. But I suppose as an Irish person, um, Ireland, I mean, poverty was rife in Ireland until very recently. It still is in many ways, but I mean, at a kind of national level until like really the, the 1950s. There's so much here for Ireland as well around kind of decolonizing our mindset. And because I suppose we lived in a land where there was a lack of trust in our ability to to have agency for ourselves with kind of, yeah, like with British imperialism and all of that kind of stuff. But that's obviously a whole other story for another day. <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel <laughs> I'd love to go down that road too. There's so much there and there's so much shame, I guess, that lives in us. And and I, what I found in revisiting my kind of ancestors and in money stories is this sense of the need to struggle, you know, like because mm. our ancestors and most of the generations who come before us have have been in that sense of survival mode you know and this struggle to kind of just live and survive and get and give as best you can to your children but there's never I don't know when maybe our parents uh, generation and this generation is is where we get to really tap into that abundance consciousness, not always feel like it's too good to be true, not always feel like we have to work really hard for our money, not always feel like that money doesn't grow on trees. All of these stories that we feel like I uh, for me live in my body that I get to really let go of and overcome in order to tap into that abundance consciousness as you speak to and miracle consciousness and really trust and believe in 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 our abilities and being being rewarded for living our purpose if we live our purpose then we get to be rewarded for that we get to trust that when we're in alignment with that that the earth will provide us with what we need because she always does she's got the, she's got an abundance to offer us it's just that some people have claimed her and charged us for it <laughs> yeah no absolutely and like if you think about why is it okay for somebody to make money doing something like I mean culting mining in the Democratic Republic of Congo and you know exploiting people in the process and it's not okay for, for someone else to create wealth by doing work that serves. We really need to shift that mindset, you know, and also around, I mean, the way we work, I mean, does have its roots in the industrial revolution still. And this idea of quantifying your work based on an hour, on a unit. And that needs to shift as well, because our work should be based on our value. Mm. And what we bring and what we contribute as opposed to the number of hours. The number of hours is a very linear way. It's a very kind of industrial way of working that's kind of lingering on. But it doesn't really serve us for the times that we're in now, you know, and it's about really our value and knowing what our value is and knowing what our worth is. And that's hugely challenging work, ongoing work that I know you are doing, I am doing, you know, on a daily basis. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's it. I mean, that's the intention behind this podcast is to to make women more aware of those stories that live within us and to shine a light on the parts of ourselves that we get to actually look at and ask questions and get curious about why it is that way, you know, because we don't have to live by the stories that we tell ourselves. We like the more and more I I, I learn, the more I I have to unlearn really, you know, it's just like a constant facing off with lies that we've been told and illusions and that we hold and stories that have been passed on that we don't own, that we don't own. And and a lot of the stuff that holds us back isn't actually ours. So I'd love to hear a little bit about obviously ancestral wisdom is passed down to us in our DNA and how would you kind of encourage other people who may not have explored this before or thought about this before how would you recommend that they begin this journey of remembrance and and what what will be there for them yeah so I suppose for me like the act of remembrance really with ancestors is with our mythical ancestors that's just how I work and particularly for people who maybe don't know their ancestral lineage very well but maybe know kind of of the origin in a sense you know Um, and a lot of women who come to me like I do work with a lot of Irish women who are aware of their ancestral lineage and then others from places like the US, America, Australia, New Zealand you know places where like there was mass kind of migration to and maybe aren't aware of their lineages, but know they're thereabouts that they have some ancestry, maybe from Ireland or Scotland or Wales or, you know, another kind of Celtic nation. So for me, it starts with the story to go back and begin to explore the stories of your mythical ancestors, because and the reason they're called mythical ancestors and why they are ancestors is because mythology presents a cosmology mythology the purpose of mythology is to really gift the community with a worldview with a worldview that has a really strong educational component that teaches people about how to live and how to live in community and how to live in harmony Um, and particularly in harmony with nature like a common aspect of Celtic mythology that you I imagine you see in the indigenous kind of traditions on you know the different lands in Australia is about animism as well about that everything possesses a soul like you know if I walk out the door there or the tree that's here I can have a conversation with that tree because it has a soul you know it has an expression it's a living being so just all of that is woven into mythology so to go back and to to kind of begin to look at those stories and you know notice what's happening in your body as you engage with the stories like story should be not should but like story can be an embodied experience, an experience of the body, you know, when we're really engrossed in a story, we become like the protagonist, you know, we're seeing through their eyes, we can smell, we can hear, we can 
touch what's actually happening in the story. You know, it's so visceral for us. So to really bring the body into the story experience and get curious about what's happening in your body in response to the story. And just to keep kind of like imagining like you, like I like to imagine it as a rug nearly like that. I'm constantly lifting up the rug to peek beneath and see what lies there for me. So yeah, that would be my recommendation to begin with the stories. And that is a way as well to do this safely without having to go into the epicenter of any kind of ancestral trauma that is in our immediate lineage, because that work, I think, often requires a lot of support as opposed to doing it on your own. Absolutely, yeah. And I do recognise living here in, in Australia and connecting to the ancestors of this country. It just, it showed my colonization I guess like the I I grew up in a family that was like you know we went to gale talked areas every year for our summer holidays and my dad likes to speak Irish and we like loves the song and the kyol and the crack but definitely more I was more kind of conditioned to think of Ireland as leprechauns and St. Paddy and I didn't really know anything about our mythology and the strength and the blood and the bone of of our ancient ancestry before colonization you know and coming here and hearing these beautiful stories of the indigenous tribes and traditions here and, and their connection to country and opened my eyes to that and it wasn't until I really found you that I began to explore my own indigenous roots and and the fact that I am an, an, an indigenous too you know and that we have a language that I get to love that is part of my makeup that is part of my song line to to those ancient ancestors and that's a big part I believe I know that you speak to me in a little bit of Irish and it really like lights me up and gives me gives me a real desire to explore that further but can you talk a little bit about yeah the voice and the language of our indigenous roots and how that actually helps us to you know with ancestral embodiment yeah so I suppose for me okay so if you go back to the tales the tales are all obviously existed in the oral tradition and the evolution of the Irish language is possible to actually map right so the language that the mythology was written down in is old Irish and likely the same language that the people spoke at the time and Ireland, like Irish Gaelga is what it's called in Irish, is quite an old language. It's, you know, it would be older than English, which we now speak. And I suppose, so when I was in college, I did a bit of Shan Gaelga of old Irish. And I always had a passion, always had a go for, for the Irish language. I did not grow, grow up speaking, like my parents don't speak. My mom has a little bit of Irish, but I did not grow up speaking in a household, you know, in a household that spoke Irish. But I did spend multiple summers. I went to the Gaeltop three times in Donegal, where I was immersed in the language. And I remember, like when I was 13, going from like, I mean, working class Dublin suburbs off to an island off the coast of Donegal to immerse in Gaelga. And what like I just like it's so visceral and it's so emotive for me because it just felt like a remembering. I Like I actually remember 13 year old me feeling that sensation that I feel now, you know, I would have lost my ability in the Irish language over the years. And when all of this kicked off for me, then I start having dreams of like 
my great 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 grandmother coming to me and her name is Nan Brophy and she would only speak Gaelga in my dreams so would not speak any English and so I started she set me on this kind of spiral like I mean it sent me into a bit of a dark depression for a few weeks where I was just sobbing and sobbing and grief so much grief around the language in my body and then I just committed to to taking lessons and to relearning so I take Irish lessons with an incredible organization called All About Irish every single week now to to activate reactivate my connection to the language because I really feel that there is something in my body where I feel different when I'm speaking my Changa, my mother tongue, than I do when I speak English. And it makes sense to me because, you know, the voice lives in the body. So language is an embodied experience, you know, and I got so passionate about this. I even went to the Indigenous Languages Institute and asked if there's any research around the body and language. And there, there really isn't that much out there at the moment, but I do feel that there is a connection and that when we get have the opportunity to reconnect with our own native tongue and to speak that, that that has an impact somatically on our bodies. And luckily, the Irish language is going through a revival at the moment, you know, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is an endangered language, you know, ultimately. It really is. And it's the language of our ancestors. You Not know? so long. It's the language though, of the mythology. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, until like, I mean, it was spoken you know it was the the main language until probably the mid like after the famine and then you know because like like people had to learn English because English was the language of power it was the language of the landlord English was the language of the court system if you're up in court and you're a conscious Gaelga you know you're speaking Irish like what's going to happen you you know you need to to be astute you need to have English and then the education system was obviously in English as well so you know the, the language is slowly eroded and that's it. I mean, I, I even thought in schools, like Irish was stupid to learn. What's the point, you know, because you can't do anything with it. It's just a waste of time when it like that's the conditioning of of like colonialism that has us think in that way. So it's it's just uh, it's beautiful to hear your story of reawakening that part of you and and inspiring me to do the same. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take up some classes or when I get back to to Dublin. Oh, go on a little uh, adventure and we can go to the Gale Top together. Yeah. <laughs> going a little 3 weeks sabbatical there. 100%. I'm down for that. I'm down. And I'd love to, I can't wait to explore our country and to connect with you on our land on the beautiful mm. Emerald Isle, Eru. Do you know much about Eru, the goddess of Ireland and what Ireland is named after just before we wrap up? Yeah, so Eru was a goddess of the Tuhate Danann. Um, so Tuhate Danann means tribe of the goddess Danu. Danu is quite an obscure goddess that we know very little about. But it is said that the Tuhate Danann, you know, arrived in Ireland on this Fethiada, this magical mist. And when they arrived, yeah, so like the Tuatha Dé Danann lived on the land for a very long time, okay? And then the next people to arrive in the land were called the Miletians. Our Irish myth has like six, what they're called, six invasions. Okay, so the, so there's multiple invasions before the Tuatha Dé Danann, then the Tuatha Dé Danann come. And the last invasion is the Miletians, who are basically us, right? The modern day Gaels, okay? So they arrive in the land 
And to kind of, uh, uh, yeah, just to kind of summarize, um, they were led by a poet called Averigen. And Averigen met with the Tuatha at the Hill of Ishnach, which is the sacred center of Ireland. So in Ireland, there's the four directions and the sacred center. And who was sent on behalf of the Tuatha to meet with Averigen was Eru. So Eru is a triple goddess. She has two other sisters, Banva and Fola, which are also um, interchangeable names for Ireland. And Eru's name means fat land abundance, you know, thick soil. It's all about soil, fatness, abundance, plumpness, ripeness. You know, her name is just so beautiful. And anyway, when she negotiates with Averigen, she says, "Okay, we will give you the land and you can have this land. We are going to go underground. Um, And that's where the fairies kind of living underground comes from. You know, the two had done but you have to gift the land my name. And so Averigen says, yes. And the land then is called Era after the goddess Eru as a symbol of our abundance, of our, yeah, like of our wild, wild, wild abundance that we are tapping into here as well. So, yeah. Yeah, on that note, like us as women in the mother summer season of our lives, it's said that we are here to, you know, birth abundance onto the earth, aren't we? Um, That's what Mm. the mythology kind of says. So, I do feel like I'm impregnated with a whole new world, you know, ready to just (laughs) give birth to it and to just like allow the feminine to rise within us. And I'd love to hear, you know, All Boobs Blazing is the name of this podcast. And what would that invoke in you? What are your feelings for the future? What are your visions? I want us to really feel into the possibilities and really call in those visions and and claim them as our own. Yeah, like all boobs blazing. I absolutely, as you know, adore that name. It just invokes like just, you know, it's nearly like the warrior within, you know, is what it really invokes um, for me. But what I envisage for the future is that I feel that if we can come home and reroot in our own traditions, our own mythology, that we can really disrupt kind of the monotony and the, the how mundane life has become with kind of capitalism and globalization, because globalization desires all to behave the same, you know, to watch the same TV, to buy the same clothes, to buy the same brands, to eat the same food all of that and just to to kind of sacrifice our bodies in the name of productivity you know and for what so like for me I feel that like the more that we can come home to our mythology and to our own bodies that we can reject that system of globalization and even better we can disrupt it because it will just give us such a sense of self such a sense of purpose of really remembering who we are and who we are called to be and just finally stepping into those beautiful selkie seal skins and allowing ourselves to plump in to ripen to radiate and to be seen in the world you know and to like I mean I'm just getting this vision now of just loads of women and men and like in their selkie seal skins and just yeah all together in community just blazing that to me would be just that's my vision 
I love that. It's so beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. Here we are. And so it is, sister. That is happening in some other timeline and we'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) So it is. Yeah. So beautiful. So tell me a little bit about where people can find you and what, how they can work with you or what kind of work that you do. Yes, yeah, so you can find me at CelticEmbodiment.com or on Instagram at Celtic Embodiment. So, yeah. Such beautiful, beautiful gifts that you are sharing with the world. And I just absolutely love everything about you. I love everything that you do. And I'm excited to experience more of you and your wisdom, your imbass coming through. Um, so yeah, if you're not following her already, get on to Celtic Embodiment on Instagram. You put a lot of wisdom on there, just really bringing us all home and reminding us of who we are every every time. It gives me chills when I get you in my inbox. So, so much value and wisdom to share. So thank you for that, my darling girl. And thank you for taking the time out. It's your um, It's your birthday week, is it not? It is, yeah. I turned 40 this week, you know, entering a new decade. So, yeah, and I feel really good about it. I'm like, yeah, bring on that enchantress energy. I am ready. I feel like I'm and I feel like I'm just shedding so much at the moment. You know, I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm going through, I'm definitely going through a transition, but I'm ready. Yes, baby, mm. you're going all boobs blazing into the 40s. I am going boobs blazing into my 40s. Cannot, I mean, the boobs are just going to be leading the way. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Get boobs on the table. Amazing, honey. Well, listen, have the best birthday week. Have, and I hope this is your best decade yet. I know that it will be. And I really look forward to watching as everything unfolds and emerges and we continue to become everything we were born to be. And likewise to you, um, my Makara Dealish, my magnificent friend. Um, what a joy and what a gift you are to the world. And I cannot wait to, yeah, to witness all of your beautiful becoming and everything that's going to come from this magnificent podcast as well. You're phenomenal. You are phenomenal. And you're bringing us freedom, as your name says. Yeah, Om Sersha. I am freedom in Oskalga. And yeah, I feel like this year has really called me to not only um, be named free, but actually be the embodiment of freedom and free myself from so many of the stories and the suffering and the the limiting beliefs that were holding me back from actually stepping into my Mm. gifts and sharing my voice and being in the fullest expression of who I am, you know, and really figuring out what is true for me and, you know, and, and you know, the truth by how it feels. So it's all about coming home to your body. It's all about really getting in, getting into our bodies and stop outsourcing our intuition, our opinions, our belief systems, and stop believing in everything that we've been told up until now, because it's all an illusion and to start really, really coming home to ourselves so we can feel free. And that's, that's all. That's my fucking mission in life is to feel free and help other women to feel free too. Oh, well, that's, I mean, I just, you and your name, it just could not be more perfect. And that's part of, you know, that's your calling. Like you were given, you were blessed that name for a reason. You know, you are freedom. 
So yeah, so just so bloody excited for you as well. Yeah, so beautiful. Okay, honey. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me. And I am sure we will catch up again soon. Thank you. So I hope you received some nuggets of inspiration from this episode and I hope it helps you with your rising. Thank you so much for listening. It just means the world to me to know that peeps are picking up what I'm putting down. So if you did like it and something resonated, please share it on your socials and and spread the word, you know, screenshot it and share it and, and let me know what landed for you and what you'd love to hear more about so that I can continue to create content that lights you up. Uh, It's my mission on this planet to get, you know, more women lit up and liberated to fuck. And I'm here for the women to remember the magic of who they are and to go out there and shine bright. So also, I have a very special invitation for anybody who's listening. I'm currently calling in women into my vision of creating a collaboration book. It's called Rebel Ma, Rising in the Time of the Feminine. And I want to show the world how good it can be when we live, love and lead by embodying our unfuckable feminine energy and go all in on our dreams. Now, if this sounds like something that activates you and that feels like a full body yes, then jump on a call with me. Check out the link below for more info and let's chat about how you can be a part of this book and become a published author in 2023. The links are below. Just feel into it. You know where your heart is telling you to go and I can't wait to meet you there.